Hello and welcome to the Tez International Podcast with me, Dan Worth. In this episode, we're chatting with Simon O'Connor, the director of Deer International School, which is an all-through school in Dubai, offering both the British curriculum and international baccalaureate. We discuss how schools have to manage the arrival of Generation Z into the workplace, from their expectations of the world of work and how they will be managed, to their innate desire to use technology on the job, and how this differs from other generations already in the teaching workforce. From this, we also discuss how important it is to ensure there's a positive school culture that truly engages staff, the power of coaching to develop teachers, and why leaders need to ensure they model the culture they hope to instill. All that and lots more on the Tez International Podcast. Hi, Simon. Welcome to the Tez International Podcast. A pleasure to chat with you for this first podcast of the new academic year. Always an exciting moment. Where are you in the world? Tell us a bit about the weather, I guess, because, you know, in, in Britain here, like, we're having ridiculous 30 degree heat, which I'm sure by the time this podcast goes out will be gone. But at the moment, it's a bit surreal. Where are you? And tell us a bit about your role and how you came to be there just to help set the scene of what we're going to go on to talk about, which I know will be very interesting. Thanks, Dan. Uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, currently sitting in Dubai and the weather is uh, its about 42, 43 degrees at the moment. We're coming to the end of summer and so we're expecting in the next few weeks that uh, hopefully we'll return down to sort of low 30s, mid 20s, which is, uh, constitutes our winter. I'm, uh, I'm currently director of Deera International School, which is uh, an all through school. Uh, we've got over 1900 students here. Um, and just for context, we do the British curriculum up to GCSE and then we uh, pursue IB options in post-16. Um, I'm also Chief Education Officer for the Alpha Tame Education Foundation, which is a not-for-profit education foundation with a whole variety of different elements um, here in Dubai and beyond. Um, I've been in Dubai for, uh, this is my 11th year, um, and absolutely love being here. Um, prior to that, I worked in the UK um, for many years. Um, I was a history and politics teacher. Um, I worked in Kent in several schools. Um, and actually ended up in a, in a school in Rochester where I was deputy head um, and did a variety of things, including establishing a, a teaching school there. Um, and then in 2013, um, I, got, uh, I got an email from someone asking me if I'd ever considered working in Dubai, which was really the start of a, mm-hmm. a conversation that led to me moving over to a school. Um, I was in a school called Jumeirah College for seven years. And then three years ago, um, I moved to um, Deer International School. Just in the middle of pandemic, which yeah. was uh, an interesting time to move to a school. Yeah. Um, and we actually had protocols in place for two years, uh, including social distancing and full masks. So for the first two years I was at the school, um, I didn't actually see the faces of the people I was working with, which I think is, in retrospect, such a bizarre thing. And it would be very interesting to see how history judges that. But uh, yeah, that's a potted history of my career. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I think anyone listening to that, you know, whether you're an international teacher now or maybe someone who's thinking about it, it shows, doesn't it, that, you know, you can one day you're waking up in Kent and travelling to a school in, in Rochester and that's to think this is my life. And then 10 years later, you look back and you've travelled off around the world and you've totally different experience and everything comes with it. So that's great. Yeah, and I'm, I'm as you would expect, a, an enormous fan of the international school sector, the opportunities that it provides people, um, both in terms of the lifestyle and things like that. But I think also international schools are a very interesting place to work. We've, at the international school, we've got over 85 different nationalities here. Um, it is a truly diverse international community, as are most international schools. I think that creates uh, a perspective. I mean, a lot of schools talk about developing global citizens, um, and we put a lot of work into that, as most schools do. But actually, I think we'd struggle not to in many respects because of the um, the opportunities that they have to meet people from right the way across the world. Um, so, yeah, really interesting place. Absolutely love being here. 
Well, that's fantastic. And it sets up our conversation really nicely because I saw you give a talk at the Cobus conference back in May, which was you know, looking at almost like the next generation of workers that are coming into education. Um, and uh, I think I've got the presentation of the, of the, the topic you gave, but Generation Z have arrived, you know, Gen Z have arrived, uh, which is great. And, and you talk, talk through this new era, like I say, of young people coming into education, you know, and what they expect out of work, what they think is what makes a good work-life balance, you know, how they want to be talked to, how they want to be managed and all those kind of things. But of course, for schools who have mostly been working with the other generations, millennials and, and the beyond, going backwards, you know, these, these are very different things. And so you know, I think your your presentation was really great because it showed that, oh, this is a new dynamic, exciting workforce coming in, let's think about them. But somehow you've also got to think about, of course, your, your current generation of workers and they have very different expectations too. And so for people like yourself in those leadership roles, suddenly it's getting very, maybe quite difficult. I don't know, you tell me, but to, to get all that right. So, I mean, again, is that a fair summation of your talk and, and tell us a bit more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th th this talk emerged out of some research I'm doing at the moment. Um, I'm very interested, obviously, in school leadership and the way in which uh, we can maximize the opportunities for leadership right the way across schools and, and ensure that leadership is as impactful as it can be. Um, and I'm looking a lot at the organizational culture. I personally think that the corporate world spends a lot of time looking at organizational culture. If you were to approach, I don't know, leaders of Apple or Toyota or any massive uh, global company, they would actually, I, I'd be very surprised if they weren't um, aware of their organizational culture and taking steps to impact it. That then led into looking at, if we're going to look at organizational culture, we need to look at the organizational culture for who? Who are our staff? I think, and this isn't school leaders, I think this is everyone makes an assumption um, unconsciously that everyone is the same as us, um, and they're not. Um, and looking at generations, generations are very much defined um, and formed by the context in which they grew up. That impacts them, um, and the uh, social medias are washed with various stories about this. But the reality is, I mean, I'm I'm happy to say I'm I'm 51. I I grew up in the late 70s and 80s. The world then was very different to the world to the world which people that are entering the workforce now grew up. I grew up at a time of the Cold War, for example. Um, I grew up at a time when um, there was enormous political certainty. It was left versus right, um, and that led to people of my generation seeing the world in a particular way, mm. and also having various expectations, and I'm sure we'll come up to that in a moment or two. Whereas if you look at the Gen Zs, um, so Gen Z is essentially people that grew up in the late 90s and the first decade of this century. They grew up in a very different time, and that has essentially changed who they are um, and, and, and what they expect. If you look at the workforce, I mean, there's a whole range. <laughs> so Gen Zs grew up and then entered the workforce pretty much in the pandemic. Mm. So irrespective of how they grew up, their first experience of the workforce was in a totally, we've already referenced it earlier in, the, in our conversation, in a totally different scenario. So I suppose the underlying point is, is not to say this is how you must lead or this is what you must do, but it's just to create an awareness. Firstly, the fact that actually generations are different um, and they have different ways of working. They also, and I think much more importantly, there are different opportunities as well. If you look at millennials, if you look at Gen Zs, there are huge things that they can do that people of my generation can't. And I think having an awareness of that is, is creates an opportunity for school leaders to really maximize how they are going to work with their students. Um, because obviously after Gen Zs, we've then got Generation Alpha, which is a very different thing as well. Generations are different. There's opportunities there. 
but we don't necessarily need to behave in a way which suits our generation. We can behave in a way which suits others. Yes, I mean, and a fascinating thing is this is a, these are massive topics in a way, isn't it? You know, generational shifts and trends and cultures. And you're absolutely right, though. I think it's very easy to sort of, particularly as you get older, right? we all do it. You sort of sink into your groove and you're happy there and things that are different seem a bit strange. Or it's like, no, that's not how we do it. But again, in, in leadership, you kind of don't have that luxury. You've got to acknowledge that people are different. How are you seeing that then playing out already? And, and you know, positives, negatives, in the between, whatever. But, you know, do you start seeing that already in the, the way some of your staff, those younger generations, want things done in a certain way in the way that other generations didn't? Or is it still so early that we're just starting to get into that? Oh, no, I think we're already seeing it. And actually, one of the glories of living in of working in schools is that you actually got continuity because actually our younger staff are not hugely about that much older than, uh, than our older students. And mm. there's an overlap there. And actually having talked to my senior leaders and my staff about this, there's an awful lot of, oh, right, yeah, that makes sense kind of reaction to it. One of the things, one of the fascinating statistics about Gen Z is that teenagers around the time I grew up, over 60% of them would have held some form of job when they were at school, when they were at university, et cetera, you know, weekend jobs, et cetera. That was fairly common. Now, less than 24% of people that are entering the workforce have ever experienced work before. Therefore, they don't actually know what to expect. But actually, mm. more dangerously than that, actually, they have expectations, but they might not be realistic. Um, so we need, to, we need to look at the way in which we induct people. Um, the, I mean, teachers will have done some teacher training. They'll have done PGCEs or, or similar courses to actually have an awareness of that. But we work with PGCE students. We can't presume that anyone entering the workforce for the first time will have experienced anything before. So we we have to look at the way in which we bring um, bring our teachers on in that respect. I think another thing that uh, the, the 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 most significant thing about Gen Z, um, and it's it, I, I'm going to actually put a quote in this, is their their understanding and use of technology. Mm. Um, and 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 there's a quote which says that technology is more than just a tool; it's part of who they are. Their ability to use technology to expand their minds and fuel societal change is empowering to them. It defines who they are and why society need them. To Gen Z, their gadgets and profiles are simply extensions of themselves. I will use technology badly often, um, but for me, it's, a, it's an add-on. All we need to understand is to this emerging generation, actually, technology, it, it, there's a, there's a fluidity. They are absolute digital natives. And actually, for them, the virtual world is just as real as the real world. Mm. So what's, what are the consequences for us in that respect? Communication is a really interesting thing. Uh, my generation will tend to use emails. We will tend to use written, um, whether it's online or, or you know, we'll send letters. The written word is the way in which we communicate. The Gen Z, and actually to a great degree, millennials as well, but more more collectively, I suppose, the, the younger teachers, those that there are in their first few years of the teaching profession, are far more likely to communicate through voice notes, through sound, through videos. I mean, if you think about YouTube, um, a student now in the sixth form is unlikely to Google something. They're more likely to look at a video for YouTube. They prefer that form of communication. Um, and actually, when I mentioned this, this to my, when I was talking to my staff about this, they said that actually, if you think about the older students, they will come into a leadership meeting, um, some form of society meeting in their lessons, and they're more likely to take voice notes and to record things in that way than a, a dinosaur like me sitting there with a pad and a pen. <laughs> so we can change the way in which, I mean, we can either reject that and say we're not prepared to adopt and we're going to stay with how we are, 
or I think more powerfully, we can actually look at the way in which we deliver things and we communicate. A really good example is that you know, 10 years ago, when we got new staff coming, we may have sent them a handbook um, and said, uh, this is the expectation. I suppose five years ago, we might have sent a PowerPoint. Um, what we've started doing in the last couple of years, and, and it's been really, really well received, is, is this, basically, is actually to have four or five meetings um, using the technology that we all had to start using during the pandemic, namely online videos, to actually mm. engage with people, to talk to them, to be able to answer questions so that we can, as best we can, despite the fact we're bringing in people from around the world, engage with them as, as close to face-to-face, -face, but talking to them and using um, using modern technology in a far better way. Yes, again, there's, there's lots there that, um, that sort of sparked questions. I mean, one practical one was that quote. Who was that from then? Is that from a sort of... Uh, yeah, so this, this is part of the research I'm doing. It's that that quote's actually from uh, Sladik and Gradinger. Um, so it's 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 a, it's a piece of academic research. Yeah, it's it's the fact that they see that the Gen Z yeah. is an extension of themselves. It's fascinating. Well, I was going to ask this. So, what does that mean for you? Is because again, does that mean does that change? I don't know teaching policies around use of devices in the classroom or how they want to create resources or you know are there any practical things that you've had to sort of look at think they say they, they expect to be using technology and, and if your school is maybe just n not as up to speed on the latest tech and they come in and they got frustrated by that or you have to say look i know you want to use that piece of software or or, or device but we haven't really got the means to do that right now do you know what i mean like is that already again those sort of tensions do they come out yet well i, I mean i think there's two perspectives there Yes, as a school, we've taken a deliberate policy to engage with technology as much as possible. Um, within rel, within certain um, criteria, we do let students have their phones and use them. They've got devices. We have a, as many schools in, in out here do. We have a bring your own device policy. Students will use routinely um, devices in school. Mm -hmm. um, our, the, the next point is, are we doing that for the students or are we doing that for the teachers? Um, and actually, I think increasingly the answer is both. Mm. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that two years ago, Dear International School won an International School Award for use of digital technology in the classroom. Again, is that for the students? Is that for the teachers? I, I think increasingly, it's you, you, you can't be a teacher if you don't have that technological awareness. It's not about interactive whiteboards anymore. It's about students being able to collaborate online on a continual basis. Um, we have a we have a, a, a digital platform, and we use the Microsoft Teams. That's continually used. And actually, the way in which that's, it's not simply just for resources, it's a communication tool, it's its a whole variety of things. Um, and we've got various elements that we tack onto that and, and use various other platforms as well. But I think in the modern era, if you're going to be a teacher, you need to be able to use a whole variety of technologies um, so that you're actually um, working to what the students need as opposed to what uh, you may necessarily initially be comfortable with. Mm. We've got to train teachers up. Um, but uh, I think teachers will expect now, moving into a, a school, that the technology is in place to enable them to do things. They will expect to be able to use devices. They will expect to be able to communicate um, in, a, in a whole variety of different ways. Um, and you can either sort of take the King Canute perspective and stand on the beach saying, we will not allow this to happen. Or I think a far better way to do it is to embrace this and actually, and I, I mean, another thing is I, I mentioned opportunities earlier. Um, I don't see my role as uh, the director of the school to be prescriptive about the technologies we have, because if you come back to that generation point, yes, I've spent quite a lot of time learning these technologies, 
but I'm not the expert. The, the, the staff are. Um, so we need to we need to be able to embrace and and as best we can. That doesn't mean we um, have a blank check, but as best we can to respond to their demands for technology and and in whatever form um, that exists. And that's uh, predating obviously the enormous impact that AI is going to make. Yeah, well, yeah, that's another massive topic. Yeah. Well, it is, but but it is, but I think it's attitudinal as well. Um, I think if you are a forward-looking school, you embrace technology, you understand that actually the, the you are there to be led by the younger generations. I'm actually really excited about AI and the impact that it's going to have on schools because I think it will be it will be significant and it will create lots of opportunities. Um, I think it's going to dramatically change. Um, the way in which um, teachers work. And I think it's going to take away all the rubbish jobs that uh, are possibly less um, enticing parts of the profession. Yeah, that's certainly a, a thing you hear. I've heard quite a few people say that, like the workplace reduction and the sort of efficiencies it could drive. Um, just just to go back one slightly, or the, or the main point of what you're talking about there, I suppose the one thing that we sort of then should ask is, you you now have like almost like four different generations of teachers potentially in the workforce, don't you? I, I forget the name sometimes, but you've got Gen Zs, Millennials, um, Gen X, and yeah, and and Boomers who presumably are very much towards the end of their careers. But you know, the, you might find some yeah. But again, you, you you're going to have people who I'm, I'm I'm talking not necessarily about your school here as it were, but just like the, the sector. You're going to have therefore these three maybe four generations of teachers all going on together and they've all got their own ways of doing things what they prefer way of work ways of working they're going to think their way is best in a sort of understandable way that actually could you could see how that could create tensions because you're trying to you know the younger generation is trying to change things massively they think this should be the way it is others are saying this is how we do it as a leader you've got to sort of go with younger generations but you can't obviously alienate the older generations and you've got to recognize that experience and they also have done a very good job for x years so do you think you know in the sector there might there may be there is a challenge there or is there, that's a leadership hurdle to think about of that how do you get these generations to coexist as they work their way through and i think at a time now more than ever where like you said ai technology is changing whereas maybe 20 30 years ago of course there were different generations in schools but there was maybe more uniformity in things whereas now it's a bit more open-ended is that fair and if so do you think that's something leaders really have to start thinking about because it's going to happen to their setting it's going to happen right you can't stop new generations coming in no, I agree. I'm not. I'm not sure that it was any different 20 mm. or 30 years ago. I mean, this generational point is simply um, based on the awareness that generations are different. Now, the generation would have been different 30, 40 years ago, and I'm not saying that the arrival of Gen Z means that the whole school has to transform themselves into the attributes of a Gen Z. What I'm saying is that we need to be aware that these differences exist. I've got. Um, 307 staff uh, of whom I'm enormously proud they're fantastic people but they're not all the same it's also important to say that you know this isn't cookie cutting Mm. this is not saying that every Gen Z is the same but what I'm saying is that as leaders we need to be aware of the fact that uh, uh, someone from the 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 Gen X like me will have a perspective and my staff from Gen X will have a perspective and we need to understand that and support that they will also bring with them opportunities and understanding of perceptions, which are incredibly value, valuable. And we need to value and, and, and enhance and embrace that perspective. But equally, we've got millennials that have grown up in a certain time and they will be different. And we've got Gen Zs who are different. But, you know, everybody is different. I think, you know, the, the basis of any leadership element is, is relationship building and communication and listening and being mm-hmm. aware of who you're working with. But it's to remove this assumption, as I said right at the outset, that all generations are the same, hmm. which fine by the context in which we 
we're brought up and our, our, you know there's several years when we're growing up and they're different therefore you know it's it's not saying let's all be the same it's saying the exact reverse of that but if we are building a school culture if we're building a leadership opportunity we need to be aware of the fact of the people we're working the the antithesis of that i suppose is saying that as the school director do as i say and actually that's poor leadership mm. we need to be aware of that i mean the the, the the analogy i used when i was talking about this um a, a little while ago was that you would never expect a teacher to go into a classroom and deliver the same lesson irrespective of the students that are in there. We we look at personalization of learning, we look at support for students, we look at challenge for particular students, all based on the individuals that are there. Now, the advantage there, of course, is that they are all the same age. What we're saying is in school leadership, you need to take a similar approach. And this is one way of looking at the staff that you have with you and working alongside you. I was going to go back to something else you, you touched earlier, which I thought was an interesting point, where you talked about um, the, the percentage of young people who would have held a job previously to entering, entering full-time employment in the, in the past and to now, and it was you know, significantly lower. Again, that, that is very interesting, isn't it? And it does, you know, the idea that your first job would be your first professional job, you know, in the school, as it were, is quite, does sound, that's, that's a remarkable shift. And again, I think in my own career, again, you know, I'm, I'm in the world of journalism, but I certainly worked, you know, in a, I worked in a, electronics shop i worked for a supermarket i worked in a call center i worked offloading bags from a boat in a dockyard for a couple of days when i was about 16 you know i did loads of different things before i even got to anything resembling a you know a normal job post university and i guess without knowing it maybe i was learning about the world of work obviously through all those experiences of like actually things are said in one way but the reality of work is very different there's nuances and there's subtleties and things do you do you think that again not to say it is, but you know, what do you think is the impact of that then when you have new workers coming in who've never experienced a corporate setting or, or indeed a workplace before and they, they are expectation of it versus the reality of it? How do you manage that? Well, I, I think first of all, you, the, the need to induct people and to work closely with them is really, really important from the outset. I, I alluded earlier to you know, sending out a handbook. We need to do much, much more than that. There's another interesting dynamic to do with millennial and, and Gen Z um, staff and again from a, a hugely generalized perspective but they have expectations of 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 their voice being valid right from the outset now and to use a comparison i worked at a school once where uh i mean as, as a new teacher um the head would not engage i mean you're a new teacher you've got to do at least three years before i'll even genuinely before i'll say hello to you that kind of hierarchical expectation is gone um, therefore, if you try and impose it, I think you're going to lose um, newer staff quicker. So there's an induction piece there to help to develop, but also I think there's a, there's a way in which we can change. And actually, it's really really healthy. Um, you know, I think that the days of the, the the head teacher or the the school principal with the door shut, not engaging with staff, um, has gone, and that's a good thing. Um, we need to be about listening to ideas and contributions. Uh, we were talking to our staff recently, new staff, and there's that adage that's, uh, we, that many staff, and, and I've done it myself, you go to a new school and you, you're tempted to go, when I was in my last school, we, uh, and you stop yourself saying that because no one wants to hear it. And actually the message we gave is we really do want to hear it mm -hmm. because not only are you bringing your skill set and you're up, but you're bringing your ideas and you're bringing other experience. So if you do see something, irrespective of whether you're, a head of department or an NQT or whatever, you've got a voice that we want to listen to. So it's there's ways in which we can change what we do, but they don't necessarily 
mean that it's a bad thing. Um, actually, means we can we can harvest views from a variety of different people. Um, so that's a really interesting thing. Um, a big thing in education, and I think probably well beyond education recently, has been the opportunity to develop coaching as well. Um, so, but but actually, Gen Z will expect um, a relationship in the coaching developmental sense right from the off. I see that as an opportunity, and I think mm. that's really highlighted the the way in which we can work with colleagues to help develop them. But again, not in a prescriptive this is what you must do. We're trying to develop a culture of transformation um, as opposed to some kind of transactional relationship which says, you've been teaching two years, therefore you get X. You've been teaching 10 years, therefore you get Y. We want a culture where staff are coached, are supported, are developed, are challenged, irrespective of uh, of, of what point in their career they are. That, that's interesting. The, the thing you talk about, um, the old style of headship, Versus now, we had a piece actually from Mark Lepard uh, recently talking about that, and he was saying how at his first school, the, the head was rarely seen figure, and the, the, their office was known as the back cave, you know, because they were so rarely seen. The school I was in in Qutia, I was there for five years, and I remember the time in that five years, the one time the yeah. head came in our corridor. That yeah. was it. Yeah. And it was terrifying because we didn't know he was doing that. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, it has completely changed. Yeah. And that, again, like from a, from a leadership point of view, then, you mean, as that sort of new style of leadership, again, I suspect most people actually do prefer to be amiable and personable and approachable. But again, it's sort of, you've got to do it. If you don't want to do it like that, it seems like you're kind of in the wrong, <laughs> the wrong generation. You know, you're, you're not in the right, it's not going to work right now. You've got to be that kind of, that kind of leader now. Yeah. And I don't, I, you know, I, I, I'm about to make a point that sounds very Machiavellian. Um, but you know, another way to look at it is we have an enormous teacher recruitment issue mm. um, and teachers are in a much stronger position to work in the environment that they feel comfortable with. And uh, again, it's a very interesting point about millennials and particularly Gen Z um, is that if they feel happy, they are far more loyal than possibly previous generations. But if they're not happy, they will leave in a heartbeat. That So that, that, that loyalty will be gained, but you have to get it. Um, so the, the, again, a huge opportunity and it, it leaves leaders with the opportunity to either lead how they want or how best fits their, uh, their context and their staff. So yeah, it's, uh, for me, it, it, it's not an option, but actually I think it's far more productive. I think you can build a far more content community and one which is far more able to, um, collaborate and work together. Mm. Yes, no, I would agree. And then. The last thing you said I wanted to pick up on as well was about coaching, which I thought was a good point because, again, coaching is something that, like you say, is sort of quite organically kind of come up in education and other sectors. You know, we've done it in our company as well and um, and a very positive experience that when I did it. But again, that was very much sort of defined. You're going on a coaching course for X weeks. You will meet this person once a week. And that, that worked great, you know. But do you think, again, maybe it's more now it has to be kind of an ongoing rolling, call it mentorship, call it coaching type of thing. But again, people can expect it from the get-go rather than you're going to go on a course for X weeks that will be it. It has to be a bit more kind of fluid and yeah, you know. yeah. So, so right the way across the Alpha Tame schools, we are working with an education coach consultant. And uh, Judy's job, yes, she does actually coach individuals, but her job is much more importantly is to develop a culture of coaching across those schools. Well, what, what do I mean by that? Well, again, to compare with old days. You used to have performance management where you had specific tick boxes, all of which were completely unmeasurable and therefore pretty much pointless. We now have developmental conversations that run through the year. 
you used to have line management meetings where a member of senior leadership would essentially talk at you for half an hour, saying what you had to do in the next week. We don't have that kind of meeting anymore. We have coaching conversations. And what you'll find is that when you actually put those structured into the school day, that people will actually come forward and actually ask for coaching sessions. Um, if if that relationship is seen as one which is developmental rather than, I uh, come back to it, rather than transactional, top down, this is how you must do it. People will actually engage in that conversation. What we want in our continuum, I mean, we've been working on this for a couple of years, but we want all leaders, and, 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 and let's be honest, all teachers are leaders in some respects or not, because this isn't a relationship that just exists within the staff. We want mm. to continue it. We have student leaders as well. So that right the way through the school, this coaching understanding is is common, and this is the nature of the conversation. We we had a really interesting turning point a little while ago. Is one of my frustrations sometimes when you talk about talk to staff is that you say I've got this great opportunity for you. I don't know. We've got an assistant head of year seven, and their first question is, "Well, how much am I going to get paid?" Um, and that's always a bit disappointing because you get, you know, this is a great opportunity. You can learn, it can help you develop your career. Why is the first element of this uh, a conversation about remuneration? And I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but, you know, but actually, if we as leaders, we, we expect our staff to model the behaviors that we have. If we're being transactional about everything, we can't be surprised if they're transactional. When we stop being transactional and said, if you do A, you get B, if you do C, you get E, and actually have conversations about, how can we develop this? Actually, we found that increasingly the staff are less transactional because that transactionality is is our fault and we have to change how we lead if we expect that to develop. So we're not there yet. We're far from perfect in it, but we are trying exactly as you said, coaching cannot be a weekend away, right off you go. We need to revisit, 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 revisit. We need to watch people have coaching conversations and coach the coaches. coaches. We need to you know, get feedback on a constant basis. It's it's really exciting and I, I cannot describe the impact it's had. It's been really, really powerful. Yeah, I can see there's a lot here, isn't there, to unpick, but you can see the sort of the driving focus of it all and, and what, what the benefits can be for getting this all right for a school environment. And clearly, you know, a school like yours or indeed any school really, you know, and every school has their own challenges and opportunities and areas of strength and weakness, whatever you want to call it. But, but if you can get all these things right, you can clearly drive real change. And it kind of brings up in in a, in a way you've sort of talked to, to that point a little bit, but maybe just to sort of really ask the direct question. You mentioned right at the start about culture and school culture, and I find that fascinating as well. I'm really aware of that. Pete, you hear the phrase a lot, don't you? Culture eat strategy for breakfast, and I think when you haven't worked in an organisation with with a bad culture, you kind of hear it go. It's one of these sort of glib management things. But if you ever work somewhere where there's a bad culture, you understand it implicitly because it's like it doesn't matter how brilliant your strategy is. If people don't get along, if you don't feel trusted, if you don't feel um, motivated by what you do nothing worked it all just grinds to a halt. people leave and so forth but creating culture is again is very difficult isn't it you kind of you cannot just flick a switch you can't set everyone on a one-day course it has to be the culture has to happen organically but if you start looking at culture you're almost making it inorganic so how do you get that balance right between saying look we don't think you can Uh, i would agree with you so well firstly as you say um we've all regretfully seen schools where the culture is clearly wrong where the culture is toxic. Um, but the, I think the more fundamental point is that every institution, every organization has a culture. So you can either leave it alone and let it happen, or you can, I don't think, I don't even set the culture, but you can no, try yeah. and influence it deliberately. 
the other thing is if you're not influencing it, someone else is. So in a school, if the, if the leadership or the, the, the school generally is trying not to establish culture, who is? Is it the students? Is it the parents? Um, and the other thing about culture is the subcultures as well. And you, there's a fascinating piece about corridor cultures. Um, so, you know, the geography department will have a culture. The year three will have a culture. Um, the first thing to do is to recognize that it's there. The second thing is actually to establish a conversation about what is what culture do you want? I mean, I can't believe it would be the case, but some people might want a toxic culture. But what what is the culture that you want? And then to try and have the conversation to develop towards mm. it. I think the third thing is to actually understand what culture is. And, and there are as many definitions as you wish to find. The one that actually I hold um, that I that I prefer is that the the values, norms, beliefs, and customs that an individual holds in common with other members of a social unit or group. And the crucial word there for me is the values. Simon Sinek talks about uh, start with why. I think a lot in schools, we presume that everyone knows the why, but do we actually articulate it? Do we actually say these are the values that we are based on, that are foundation? What we've actually done is to, first of all, establish those values and secondly, make sure everyone knows them. Um, I've worked in schools with values and mission statements and I mean, I've led schools, which I still couldn't tell you what their values and mission was. But actually to use this as a deliberate foundation. So the first thing is we did that and established that. We've also then looked at, because another definition of, it's, I think it's quite a poor one, but it's got a valid point of culture, is that culture equals values plus behavior. Um, so what if these are our values, what are the behaviors that we expect? So at Deer International School, we have respect, collaboration, integrity, and excellence. I don't think there's anything wildly challenging about that. But we actually set the school behavior code based on those values so that when someone breaks it, we don't say, look, you were, you were doing you, the way in which you talked to that person was bad. We will say quite deliberately, that was disrespectful. Your failure to work with that person meant you weren't collaborating possibly. You haven't tried hard enough. You're not trying to be as excellent as you can be. Not you've lied, but you, your behavior lacks integrity. So we've, we've run that right the way through the school for students, for staff, and we had a really, really powerful conversation with parents as well. How can parents demonstrate collaboration with the school? How can they show a respectful? What did it look like when that doesn't happen? So it's an ongoing conversation, but we talk about induction. We talked about induction new staff earlier. The first thing that we talk to new staff about is this is why we do things. These are the values upon which it's based. Mm. From my perspective, and again, we've got there's a quote that I don't have in front of me that says, you know, with the best resources, the best teachers and the best circumstances, changing a culture will take years. So it, it's a long journey. Mm. Um, but what you'll find is that because people understand not just what to do, but why they're doing it, increasingly they will actually have the the, the understanding about, you know, the, 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 it requires less direction because you're all moving in the, moving in the same direction. Yeah. Um, but I think that the fundamental point is to actually acknowledge a school culture exists. Yes. Secondly, have you thought about what culture you want? Um, there's a there's a there's a fabulous book called the culture uh, the culture spectrum. Um, sorry, the book is actually called uh, School Culture Rewired, but it's got a culture spectrum in there. And again, it, it highlights it. And, and we actually had a conversation. Look, what, what do we want to achieve? So, what is a culture? What are you trying to achieve? And how can you collectively, as an organisation, move slowly towards achieving that yeah well, what i like about that is that you talked about uh, you know that culture there in in the round but also you gave us a really nice a practical example of that where you had your four 
uh, sort of keywords, as it were, and you then link them to the behavior policy. And that seems like a really good example of you can talk about culture, but then actually if you want to impact, you know, deliver on it, you can think, well, actually, look, here's something actual we can do that, that links our values, who we want to be, to something real, and you start creating that culture, which I think is often maybe the missing part of this conversation. People talk a good talk, but they don't actually then sort of start with why, yes. There's, a, there's another there's another really good quote on culture, which I actually have in my office, um, which is culture is how teachers' hearts and stomachs feel about Monday morning on Sunday night. <laughs> yes, that's very good, yeah. Because <laughs> we've all been in that situation on a Sunday night where you're like, oh, do I really have to go to work? And I'm not suggesting that teachers at Dearest National School on a Sunday evening, you know, can't sleep because yeah. they're so excited about going back to work. But I hope that they would enjoy being at work. They understand, more importantly, they understand, they also understand what it is that uh, we're trying to achieve mm. and that their role is, what their role is and how crucial it is. Um, and that comes back again to the, the constant dialogue and conversation. Yeah. Well, and obviously, you know, we, we've sort of, let's bring this back full circle for a final point then, just talking about Gen Z and all this and, and, new, and generations and culture. And again, I mean, I think in some ways, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, what would you say then, to, that this work you're doing on culture, or already that any school should do on culture, has to now consider that Gen Z element. Does is that does the fundamentals apply, or do the other things, again, the way they want to work, the way they want to be managed, that requires a tweak maybe, or again, looking at your culture and thinking, does it work for them? Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is possibly more fundamental than the cultural bit. I think this is, this is how people... Um, work best is that mm. knowing what's expected of them we're, we're not working with uh individuals that are just working on a um some form of process line we're working with people we want them to be inspired we want them to be innovative we want them to take decisions um they're going to be able to do that far better if they're aware of what the what uh well firstly what is expected of them but more importantly if they're happy in the role that they're doing so that's the, that's the culture we're trying to create but i think if you are going to create a culture having an awareness of the the, the diversity of people that you're working with, what their characteristics are, will place you in a better position to create that culture so that it's, it's most effective. Excellent. Well, I think, you know, we, we've talked for a long time here about some really big topics. Um, we've touched on some specific points too, which has been great. But I think anyone listening to this who's a leader or, or aspiring to leadership, it's a really good insight into the challenges, the opportunities. Well, you know, like you said, it's very exciting um, if you get it right what you have to think about so i really appreciate you know you coming on and sharing those your time with, to give us those insights and thoughts and we should say that the um the the, the presentation you gave at curryvis the slides for that are available online so there'll, there'll be a link to those um on the article accompanying this podcast so if you want to have a read of those have a look and that, again i would recommend having a look through the slides if you're listening and you'll you know particularly want to take this further because there were some really interesting sort of graphs and charts on there showing all these trends that are changing and what these this generation expects but Simon, for now, again, thank you so much for your time um, and good luck for the rest of your school year. It's an absolute pleasure, Dan. It's been great talking to you.